Welcome into Honorado and Bagnardi. Chris Honorado, Sean Bagnardi, you are watching us on News Channel 13's My Four. And Bags, I once had a media consultant tell me, peel back the curtain a little bit. Show people some behind-the-scenes backstage stuff. Look at us. I got I got Lester, and I got the NBC show Good Girls behind me. Yep, and I've got News Channel 13 logo, half of it. STEM 13 logo. Whoops, that's what happens. STEM 13 logo. STEM is, of course, Mets spelled backwards. Speaking of backwards, let's get the show going. This is Honorado and Bagnardi, brought to you by Outfit House. All right, Sean, baseball is still dominating the news, even though we are deep into the NBA and Stanley Cup playoffs. It's baseball that's on my mind tonight because of everything we saw this past week with the commissioner's office saying, no, 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 10 games if you pitchers use what we deem to be an illegal or, as you say, foreign substance to try to improve spin rate or your grip on the baseball. It has caused quite the stir and uproar from current and former pitchers in baseball. So is it cheating or not? It's only cheating. It's only cheating. (laughs) Isn't it only cheating if you get caught? Isn't that the whole thing? It's only cheating if... There is an explicitly written rule of what you can and cannot use. Now, if you say to me, well, there's something that says foreign substance. Okay, who's who's determining the foreign substance? Is sunscreen a foreign substance? Pitchers have said, we like the combination of sunscreen and rosin. Now, it has graduated, as all things do, right? You give an inch, you take a mile. It has graduated to stuff like spider tack. Now, I'm willing to side on things that that's breaking the rules that that's a foreign substance but if a guy says i like sunscreen and rosin because it lets me grip the ball and we have physicists tell us that that doesn't necessarily improve the spin rate i can get behind that okay well so foreign just means what foreign to the game and what's allowed doesn't mean it's being shipped overseas right it means it's foreign to the game we know Rosin, the rosin bag, is a part of the game. That's part of what is accepted. Something other than that, if it's not written you can use it, then that makes it a foreign substance to the game, meaning it's something you can't use. So that's why I think these things are illegal, which is why, to me, they fall under the category of cheating, which means it shouldn't be allowed. Now, if everybody's doing it, does that mean it's not cheating? No, no it's, it's still mean, cheating. It's still, it means it's still cheating. Right. That was part of the argument that we heard during the steroid era. We talked about this a little bit last week. The issue I have from the baseball perspective of things is the enforcement. If it's against the rules, you should have been enforcing it all along. And to some of these players' point, Garrett Cole in particular, you can't just decide now halfway through, 
well, now we want to in, enforce the rules. It's like the rules that we talked about that they implemented to improve the time of the game that they then don't really enforce. It's like baseball just kind of picks and chooses. And for me, those are the two big problems with baseball right now. Games take way too long. And there's always the question now of if what we're seeing is legitimate. It goes back to the steroid era. You had corked bats come into play with the home run race with Sammy Sosa. And then we went through the whole cheating scandal with the Astros. And now this, it's like every time you turn around, baseball has this kind of problem. In addition to the fact that you can't sit down and watch a game in a reasonable amount of time, it's not good. You mentioned Garrett Cole's name. He pitched Wednesday night, and the Yankees won, and he got the win, uh, 3-2 over the Blue Jays, a game that Toronto played in Buffalo on a chilly night. It was in the 40s, the temperature, and and Cole said it, it was, it's hard to grip the ball. Um, you saw the numbers there at the bottom that he only had four strikeouts. That's a season low for him, and the spin rate was, was way down. Here's a quote after the game, though. It's so hard to grip the ball. For Pete's sake, who says for Pete's sake, by the way? For Pete's sake, it's part of the reason why almost every player on the field has had something to help them control the ball. Second half of this, let me take it in pieces here. First of all, shut up. Like, shut up, okay? You are You couldn't have handled your press conference the week before any more poorly than you did. So now yeah. I don't want to hear from you anymore unless you're just going to openly admit I used it, I continue to use it, and I need to use it. This, like, blaming now is not going to work for me. Like, oh, feel sorry for me. But the second part I find really interesting here, Bags, because I wonder if there's validity to this. Are infielders using something to grip the ball better and make a throw across the diamond? Are outfielders using something to make a throw to try to get an outfield assist at the plate or on third or wherever. Cole's quote here is why almost every player on the field has had something to help them control the ball. Is this more than the pitchers? It's a good question. I mean, so far we've only really heard about it from the pitchers because look, the spin rate on a throw to first base from short doesn't really matter. But as a pitcher, if you're going to have a spin rate, I don't know if you know how I feel about spin rate and launch angle and all that stuff. But the reality is, if a pitcher can grip the ball a certain way, they're going to be able to throw the ball a certain way, and that's going to make it more difficult for the hitter to make contact. And that's why we look at it as cheating. And look at baseball. Offensive numbers are way, way down. I mean, what's the league average, like 230? That's yeah. not good baseball. That's not enjoyable baseball to sit down and watch when guys can't hit. When we talked to Brian Kenny on the show about a year and a half, two years ago, he, and nobody knows baseball better than he does. He told us baseball's biggest problem is that there aren't enough balls in play. There's not enough going on. It's either the strikeout or the home run. He was talking about, I want balls in the gap. I want guys trying to stretch singles into doubles, doubles into triples. I want plays at bases. I want relay throws. I want stolen bases, hit and run, bunting, and you get none of it. And a big part of the, the issue with that right now is because nobody can hit the ball. It's also a lot of philosophy, and you and I have our, our questions yeah. about the philosophy of the game and the direction that it seems to be going because of the heavy emphasis on analytics. But if you're going to coach a game that way, and now we're going to get this big emphasis on pitching, and maybe now even because they're using this foreign substance to make it more difficult to hit, what you wind up with is a game that's pretty unwatchable and somehow still takes four hours. And here's part of where I think baseball is going to try to correct an issue, but it's not going to solve the problem. 
if you make pitches more hittable, right, which we assume this will do, if we eliminate spider tack and the spin rate isn't as great as it, as we've seen it the last few years, but guys are still using that approach bags that you talked about at the plate, which again, launch angle, I, we hate the phrase because it gets overused, but if guys are simply focused on putting the ball in the air, right, uh, uh, over putting the ball in play, period, if the pitch is now more hittable, are, are we going to see it completely swing the other way? Like what you and I want as fans, as baseball fans, is yes, more activity on the bases, more balls in play. Um, but we don't necessarily care if the score is elevated, right? We don't need games that are 8-6 instead of 3-2. You and I are good with 3-2 as long as it's an entertaining game. If the pitch is now more hittable because the spin rate is not as great as it was, does the offense just completely explode? Does this overcorrect if you're the commissioner here because you're trying to solve one little issue like, hey, offense is down. Can we find a way to tick it up a little bit more? But no, it, it balloons because of your what you said in terms of the philosophy and approach, and yet now more pitches are in the zone and hittable. I guess, but I mean, guys are throwing 100 miles an hour and then bending off you know, 90 mile an hour off speed pitches I don't know. It's really hard to hit a baseball. And if the league average goes from, you know, 230 to 270 or something like that. Yeah, okay. And that, and it won't be that big of a jump, but even if it went to there, I think you still have a game that's, that's manageable and more enjoyable to watch. Even if you do get more offense, what baseball does have to be careful about though, is when you bring in more offense, there's a game now going to take longer. And if it does and time of game really shoots up, as a result of offense potentially going that direction, then baseball is really going to have to start addressing different rules to improve pace of play. The biggest issue is is time between pitches. And if that means a pitch clock, then I guess that's ultimately what it's going to mean. But that's going to be the next big thing for baseball to address if you introduce more offense and the result is longer games. You cannot have that. Do you believe that this has had any adverse effect on guys' delivery, grip, their mechanics, and then resulting in injury? We also heard Garrett Cole say it after his start Wednesday. He talked with Tampa Bay Rays starter Tyler Glass now, who said it publicly that he believes he is injured now because he was forced midseason to make an adjustment per Major League Baseball rules, and, and he's finding a way, a different way to throw the baseball. That's why he thinks he's injured. Cole said the same thing. I'm worried about guys getting injured because we're now being told midseason, right? This isn't December, January. Hey, guys, by the way, starting in March in spring training, you're not going to be allowed to throw the way you used to. So you got two months, figure it out. They're being told to do it on the fly. Any validity to the point that maybe this is why we're seeing some injuries? It's certainly possible. I mean, these guys would know better than us. They're the ones out there doing it. So I'm not going to ignore that. I think part of the issue baseball has with injuries in general, not just with pitchers, is that guys are trying to get in better shape, but not necessarily better baseball shape, right? We talked about how guys really hit the weight room and work out, but I think that's more for the hitters. So, yeah, maybe there is something to be said for if we're going to see pitcher injuries now as a result of having to change things. But I would go back to saying if you were doing something that was against the rules to begin with, then you shouldn't have been doing that. And it's, it's kind of on you now if you have to change 
Although with a small caveat in there that yes, baseball now deciding just midway through that they're going to enforce it. I'm not a big fan of that either, but now for these guys, they knew when they were using this stuff that it wasn't the rosin bag, that it was something else. So the fact that now you're going to get called out on that and you've got to change it, part of that's on you too. And look, find a way to pitch better so you don't get hurt. That's just the way it's going to have to be. Yeah, and I, I think that's exactly what it's going to have to be because these guys can't risk a 10-game suspension. If, if you're a Garrett Cole, if you're a Glass now, if you're a Jacob deGrom, you can't possibly mess around and risk hurting your team that way. Uh, speaking of being hurt, Bags, yeah. what is up? with your boy DeGrom here. How concerned are you? I know the Mets ace is saying he's not too worried, but this is back-to-back starts now that Jacob DeGrom has left because of, I'll put in air quotes, injury. One was the right flexor tendon, uh, and now it's a right shoulder that forced him to leave Wednesday's start after only three innings and after he had absolutely dominated the game to that point. Right. Three innings. Perfect innings. Eight strikeouts. <laughs> Those nine batters. Oh, and he drove in a run at the plate because he also Insane. does that. This is really bad for baseball, not just the Mets. Of course, it's bad for the Mets. He's the face of the franchise, by far their best player, putting in an all-time historic season. You need him there, especially with all the other injuries you have, despite the fact that Mets have weathered that pretty well and are, are in a pretty good position right now, first uh-huh. place in the standings. But you know if you're going to have your long-term success, if you're going to have that ultimate playoff success that you want, Jacob DeGrom is going to have to be as big a part of that as anybody. So it's a big deal for the Mets, but a big deal for baseball because despite the offense being down and pitching with all the, the no-hitters we've seen this year and people saying, yeah, but pitching now, it's too, it's, it's almost like too easy the way it was got. No, this is, this is the exception even to that, Jacob DeGrom and what he's doing. And – It's bad for the game because he now – he's a guy you want to be sort of the face of your league, right? The way he goes about himself, his competitive spirit, he always says the right thing. But then what he goes out there and does on the hill, it's incredible. And and any amount of time that he's going to miss is bad, not just for the Mets. It's bad for the sport. Now, from the Mets' perspective – we know Syndergaard already had a setback. We know Carrasco had a setback. How, how much more can you weather from your starting rotation, guys being out, before this thing does go south on you? I don't know, but I, I know one thing, man. I want Jacob DeGrom on the field, not at the expense of him not being on the field come October if we get there. I, look, I think the Mets are in an okay spot here. Marcus Stroman's been terrific. Taiwan Walker's been so good. Uh, if they get Syndergaard and Carrasco into the mix – Man, is that I mean, that is a team built to win in October. That is a starting rotation that you'd put up there against anybody else and say, we've got a shot to win this series because we have five guys we can throw at you, even though we really only need to use four of them. They, they are in they're in a spot of luxury right now if those guys come back from injury, Syndergaard and Carrasco. Here's what DeGrom said after his start Wednesday night. This is getting old. I want to be out there competing instead of coming out of these games with these little things. And we showed you before what those little things were. We're talking about right side tightness that forced him to miss two starts. We're talking about the flexor tendonitis. He had the elbow, had an MRI on the elbow, no problem. Elbow on the right, uh, (laughs) MRI on the right shoulder now too. Are these little things? I mean, for me, they aren't bags because this is 
too much of a pattern for me to say he's going to be good the rest of the way. It isn't like one thing was bugging him. Let's get it fixed and we're good to go. This is now back-to-back starts, but honestly, three, four injuries in the first two and a half months where now I don't know if the weather's cold in October, how how does his body react to something like this? Does he tighten up again? And now do I lose him after only a few innings of a postseason start? That's where my mind goes. Not necessarily June, July, August. Like, well, he's not going to miss a start. Okay, my worry is if I put him on the mound in October, am I going to get the full effort that I need? Yeah, it's like this is like when you have a guy who is going for no hitter or a perfect game, but he's thrown way too many pitches. And it's like, do we keep sending him out there? It kind of feels the same way with like he's chasing history this season. But do we keep throwing him out there start after start? Even though he could do it, but is it the best thing for him? Here's how I'll answer the question of whether or not it's a little thing. It's whether or not they're connected. So if he has the tightness on the side and now he he changes his approach and now all of a sudden his shoulder hurts as a result of that, right? If they're isolated incidents and they're separate and they're sort of just coincidence, then maybe they are little things and maybe he'll be okay. But the Mets have to look at the long-term impact here and say, this is going to lead to the next injury. No, let's not turn him around and have him out there for his next start, despite of everything he's doing and the history that he's chasing this season. You have to do what's best for DeGrom, as well as what's best for the team, which is having DeGrom healthy come playoff time, because that's the ultimate goal. If the best thing for the Mets to do is shut him down for a month, a month and a half, if that is the best thing to do, they've got to look in the mirror and say, you know what, we just have to do it. We kind of have to bite the bullet on that one. I don't know if that's the case. I think a lot of it, you got to lean on Jacob DeGrom. I said it. He's a competitor. He's going to want to be out there. Yep. But I do think he'll be honest with you, too, about his body. And it, the Mets, this, how the Mets handle this could be the single most important thing now moving forward for their season. And, and that's not an overstatement, man, because they go as he goes. You get to the playoffs, you're looking at, I don't want to say an automatic win if he's right. But, boy, you're talking about two almost sure-handed wins, and then you mentioned the yep. other guys in the rotation who've been playing well and the other guys who you might get back. That makes you very difficult. You want to look back then and say, if we'd only done something different in June or handled it better, where could we be now? Tay Fisher coming up on the show, uh, former Siena star, Harlem Globetrotter as well. He's back in the 518, which he now calls home to do some camps. He's a teacher at heart, as we've learned, uh, and he's really looking forward to camps this summer with some kids. Uh, We'll get into all that with Tay. We'll go take a little trip down memory lane, of course, an interesting story about how he became a Harlem Globetrotter uh, almost 12 years ago now for Tay Fisher. The NBA playoffs are cooking. And even with some big stars sidelined, there are some incredible storylines. And Bags, it starts with what the Atlanta Hawks did in games four and five, the comebacks they had to take a series lead over the 76ers. That's next. You're watching Honorado and Bagnardi on my four. Happiness is found in simple things. The sun on your face. Sharing laughs. At the campground. Getting wet. Relaxing together. The love of family. There's never been a better time to go outside and play. Alpenhouse Pool Spa Boat and RV. Bringing families together and creating memories since 1964. Depressed. Overworked. 
job sucks, underappreciated, when life sucks, just say Dillagaff. Our clothing line puts the F.U. back into fun. Nothing will give you greater satisfaction. Dillagaff isn't just an attitude, it's a lifestyle. Some people ride the crazy train, we drive that mother. Check out our selection at DillaGaffUSA.com. And now, back to Honorado and Bagnardi. Brought to you by Alpenhouse. I had pretty much written the Atlanta Hawks off because, and for good reason, they were down in the series to the Sixers. Then they're at home in game four and they're down 18 points. And I thought, well, this is this is going to go the way we just kind of figured the series would because the Sixers are the top seed. Atlanta pulls off a comeback. But they're going back to Philly bag, so this still is is in the Sixers' home court, literally. And they're down 26, the Hawks are. It was 22 late in the third. And they come back and win that game. And and I'm thinking to myself, am I more impressed by what Atlanta's done, or, or am I more embarrassed for what the 76ers didn't do? Yeah, it's it's really hard. It's, it's a little bit of both. It's really hard to hold a big lead sometimes. But why? What, what, hang on a second. Let me stop you there. Why? Because I hear people say this all the time. Well, that lead is too big too early. How, well, how does okay, that make any sense? Okay. So Kenny the Jet talked about this a little bit on TNT. And he said, when you're going so well in a, in the first half like that, everything comes easy, right? Everything. The, the yep. ball's moving. It's popping. Shots are dropping easily. Then all of a sudden – one screw tightens, and you come off a pick and roll, and the defense is a little bit different. And now, okay, that that's that's not there like it was. And then another screw tightens, and something else isn't there, and something else isn't there. And now, as the game's getting closer and closer, the pressure is more and more on you because now you're the team blowing the lead. Things are not coming the way they were coming to you, and now you've got to make this adjustment, and it, it becomes almost like an avalanche. And it's not an excuse. The Sixers cannot blow that game at home, in the playoffs. You cannot do it. But it's almost like when things are coming so easy and then they're not coming easy, it's not that you forget how to play, but it's been coming so hard for the other team that they're now more ready for that situation that the game is in than the team that has been playing with the lead and coasting. So I understand it to a small degree, but it's not an excuse for the Sixers, man. You can't blow that game, not at home, not in the postseason. Can't do that. Yeah, I, you know, I, again, I know I hear it all the time, um, but I just can't get behind the fact that like, well, I understand how this happens. Uh, You get, you get that big of a lead, put the team away, put them away. And especially if you're the Sixers, you're supposed to be this really good defensive team. Put them away. You gave up 40 in the fourth quarter. Come on. And you can't, and you can't sit there and say, now we got to go back to Atlanta with a chance to lose this the whole series. I mean, that is essentially then a must win for you at home in game five. So you've got to get that done. But let's not take away from what this guy has done. Trey Young leading this team. You and I were not as high on Young early as maybe right. some others right. were. We were wrong. 
he he has emerged not just as an all-star in this league, but as a real superstar, a guy who shows he can, to a degree, carry a team. He needs the help. But Atlanta went out. They got Nate McMillan, who seems to be doing a really good job coaching this team. Kevin Herger talked about that with us. They, these guys want to work for him, want to fight for him. But more importantly than that, you gave him help on the court with the additions of Gallinari and Bogdanovich. And yep. we know what uh, Capella has done for this team. And, and when you have the other young guys like Tom Collins and Herger who are there as well, it's a really good team. I don't think they're they're ready to go win a championship. I think I think they're still a little bit off from that, whether it's one piece on the court or just more experience that they're going to keep gaining, obviously, here in these current playoffs. That feels like a year or two away for me with this team. They're totally playing with house money now as the five seed, and whatever happens here on out happens. But great season for them. They've overachieved, and they are certainly heading the right direction. Would not be shocked now if this team did win a championship in the near future. But what do we do about Trey Young's hair? What do we do about his hair? It is, I mean, I'm kind of just mesmerized by it every time I watch him play. Look at look at it here. Because I would say there's like flow in the back, but it it's more just kind of, I don't unkempt really. The Swaggy. next shot, I think we're this is the maybe the best look at it. Yeah, I I don't know, but if I'm the Hawks, he can have whatever hairstyle he wants as long as he keeps playing the way he does, man. All right, the other headline in the NBA playoffs is one that we spent already too much time talking about in baseball, and that's the injuries. But a lot of all-stars sidelined and not part of this postseason, at, at least for one game, right? Guys aren't missing entire yeah. the entire postseason. Like Donovan Mitchell missed the first game of that Jazz series uh, in the first round. He said he wasn't injured anyway. Okay, so no big deal. But Embiid has the knee injury. He missed a game in the opening round against the Wizards. Your guys, Kyrie Irving, James Harden, have missed multiple games now at this point. Um, Chris Paul, COVID, Kawhi Leonard, Knee injury. I mean, big, big names. We didn't even mention Anthony Davis, guys who are no longer in the playoffs having missed time. Big, big names. Is this the problem? Why is this happening? Is it taking away any shine from the playoffs for you? Well, it's not taking away any shine because of how compelling the series still are. And and we are still getting yes. to see big stars playing in big moments. Yeah, the Nets, the Nets have missed Irving and and harden but kevin durant put forth one of the most historic playoff performances we've ever seen um devin booker chris paul there are still big stars having big games leonard of course missed game five with the injury you talked about but paul george leads to a huge win on the road he's another guy who is a big superstar this is already a postseason you mentioned without Anthony Davis, but also without LeBron James, without Steph Curry. So it's a little bit of a dangerous situation here for the league to have those stars already out. And now the stars who are playing starting to go down and miss time. Damian Lillard, another guy who's now out of the postseason. Yep. But there are still big enough names left. And the series we're getting are really good. I mean, all these conference semifinals, with the exception of the sweep by Phoenix, have been tight. They, you don't know who's going to win them as you're sitting there watching the series. You know, Clippers down 0-2, then up 3-2. Who saw that coming? The Nets up 2-0, then it's 2-2 all of a sudden, and they've got the injuries. 
So it's been exciting. The Atlanta series we talked about, it's still exciting. So the shine has not been taken away. But if we get to the conference finals or the NBA finals and big stars are out or if Chris Paul has to miss extended time, right, then you start to look at we're missing something. I don't think we're there yet. And I, I and COVID would be the worst of all because every team has to deal with injuries. But if you have to deal with COVID when you could be out on the court and physically play, but you're just not allowed to, that would really be terrible for yeah. me. I hope that doesn't happen. But so far, so good. We just got to hope that we have the, the stars on the four teams that are left when we get to that point, all healthy and playing well. You saw the comments from LeBron James. Like, basically, I told you, I hate, first of all, I hate when people tell me I told you so. I, I just hate that. Um, but he did. He told the league in a tweet, I told you so. I knew this was coming. I told you it was going to happen. Too quick of a turnaround from the bubble to this regular season starting was the concern. Too condensed of a schedule was part of the concern he had as well. Like, but we're here now. We're here now. Like, that shouldn't have been the issue. And guys certainly bags made sure to take time off during the regular season so that yep. they might be ready for this moment. Barkley will tell you that's why they're getting injured. I'm telling you that's why they at least shouldn't be getting injured or that that can't be a valid excuse that like, well, we're injured now because we started the season too quickly after the bubble. Guys took their time to rest and heal their bodies. They sure did, man. I watched a lot of Nets games without James Harden, without – Without the big kidding. three playing together. Almost yeah. all of the Nets games without the big three playing together. So that come this point, they could be ready to go. So, you know, I don't want to hear it. But, look, Kyrie Irving comes down, rolls his ankle on Giannis's foot. That's the stuff that's going to happen. So yep. you have to look at it case by case. I understand LeBron's point, and maybe his team is the best example of it because they had the shortest turnaround. They were in the NBA Finals, okay? And, and he lost his big co-star in Davis, which really hurt him. But to look at it league-wide, I don't think you can do that. It, it is case-by-case, case, and that's how you really should address it. And by the way, no time to further discuss it here, but if it's a foul on a jump shooter and you move into his landing space, why isn't it a foul on a guy in the lane and you move into his landing space? Yeah, you're closing out, though, on a shooter. To me, like, what's Giannis supposed to do? He's standing there going, trying to get in position for a rebound. I, I don't know. I really honestly don't have a problem with it. And I, 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 I don't like when they look at it, is that a flagrant foul? Like, did he intentionally yeah. stick his foot under? Because 99% of the time, and of course not. He's closing out. The guy lands on his foot. It's basketball. And if it is intentional, like we've seen rarely in the past, you know it when it happens, just call it then. I think we waste some time with that, with that review in particular. But, look, the injuries are bad. I'll just cap it off by saying the big stars, they're still playing. We're doing okay. We just got to hope that come conference finals and finals, everybody's there and healthy. All right, coming up on Honorado and Bagnardi, Tay Fisher, uh, former Globetrotter, former Siena star in the Capital Region, and he's hosting a few camps this summer. We're going to talk with Tay about also a great story about how he almost – didn't become a Harlem Globetrotter, which he spent doing 10 years. We're back right after this on Honorado and Bagnardi. Teams. Athletes. Organizations. We're transforming the custom apparel industry through product and purpose. Claim your crown. 
Marcella's Appliance Center, our commitment is to you, providing essential appliances that families depend on for cooking, refrigeration, cleaning, and sanitation, plus appliance repair. You can have peace of mind that Marcella's is here for you today and every day, like we have been since 1957, helping you make the right choice with trusted brands like Whirlpool, Maytag, KitchenAid, Genair, and many more. Shop Marcella's Appliance Center in-store, online, or by phone. We're here for you. And now, back to Honorado and Bagnardi. Brought to you by Alpenhouse. Welcome back to Honorado and Bagnardi. Bags, for a guy who was such a big part of a major first-round upset in the NCAA tournament, you really would have thought, hey, maybe that is the highlight of his basketball career, and he would be known for making six threes in a win over Vanderbilt. But really, our guy Tay Fisher became best known as Firefly. No doubt. I mean, yeah, you have certainly the capital region base who knows him and will always have those fond memories and remember him with Sienna. But then, like you said, man, it goes well beyond that for his hoops career. And now Tay calls the 518 home, and he's got big things coming this summer to the Capital Region with his basketball camps. And he's our guest here on Honorado and Bagnardi, joined by Tay Fisher. Tay, what's up, man? It's good to see you. What's going on, Chris? How are you? Thank you for having me. I'm good, buddy. Thank you for doing this with us. Uh, I'm always excited to talk some hoops with you, uh, but also some of your social initiatives, which we're going to talk about too. And you can get all those details at tayfisher.com t-shirts and and the message behind those t-shirts as well and camps in the capital region too man first of all let's talk about the camps here this is something that's a passion of yours i know you're a teacher at heart and now you can do it on the basketball court yeah uh these basketball camps i've been running for 17 years now uh i can't believe i'm even saying that but i started as soon as i graduated from high school because i knew that i had something to give i knew that even playing at Kingston High School, that kids were looking up to me, kids were loving me. And as you said, I was a teacher at heart. I loved helping other people. I, and that was that's what led me to being a great leader. So I'm happy that I'm able to bring it uh, to the Capital Region. I've been doing it here since I graduated from Siena, and it's been great. The only difference is that I can do it throughout the year. Now that I retired from the Harlem Globetrotters after playing for 10 years, I'm no longer a part-time person when it comes to the youth. I'm full-time, I'm here for the kids, I'm here for anyone that needs it, just to show you what it takes to be a great basketball player, but most importantly, how being great in your sport can also transfer over to being great in the classroom and just in life. And I think that I've done that throughout my life and throughout my career, and I think I'm ready to uh, pass it on to other people. Yeah, so you just you've sort of just answered the first question I was going to go with this is a young athlete going to one of your camps. What is the biggest takeaway for them? If I, I'm a young athlete, I'm looking to come to a camp with Tay Fisher. At the end of that, I've learned what from basketball and what from life. You've learned to have fun. I think that's what people are missing. Having fun. I had fun at Siena. That was what I did when I went on the court it made me forget about all of the tough times that I was having, whether it was in school, whether it was in life. I just enjoyed enjoyed that sport. I enjoyed being with my teammates and with my coaches. And then I'm with the Harlem Globetrotters. You already know how we love to have fun. 
there's nothing better than that. I'm out there doing the hardest things that will take years for people to develop. And I'm making it look easy because I'm having fun. So now I'm trying to teach these kids when you're having fun, you will work hard and you won't even know that you're working hard because you enjoy it. And I think that's what's important. The same thing with school. You know, when you enjoy school, it's not hard because you love it. You see yourself growing. You love the praise from people. And that's something that I always tell my workers and even myself is make sure like my camp is my classroom. I have a I have students and I have players at this level and I have students and players at this level. It's important for me to get them to work together and have us all help each other at the end of the day. And as long as I can keep see those smiles on those uh, campers faces and even my staff, I know I did something uh, that I feel like was very impactful. Dude, nobody knows how to have fun quite the way you know how to have fun. Here are the details on Tay Fisher's fundamental basketball camp and you can see it scrolling at the bottom of your screen as well but the dates and the website there tayfisher.com the albany capital center such a great venue in the area for events like this bags and i were fortunate enough to be courtside calling some of the uh the gym rat live games just a few weeks ago tay and i know you've you've held clinics at the cap center before and that's where uh your camp will be in addition to the College of St. Rose, which is a place you know well uh, from your graduate study days as well. Let's go back to your undergrad days, if we could here, buddy, um, and to talk about you know what you were able to accomplish at Siena. And the biggest takeaway, and I know I said this at the top, was you made six threes in that win over Vanderbilt. Is that something you still think about today? Is that something Siena fans still bring up to you, that NCAA tournament game? All the time, all the time. So many fond memories from my time at Siena, whether it had to do with us beating Stanford or making winning the MAC championship on my birthday. And uh which you also made six threes in. Yeah. And then carrying <laughs> it over to Vanderbilt. I mean, it was just a great year. You know, it was a great year. I, I was very happy to be playing against so many greats, such as Derek Rose that year when we played Memphis and uh, being able to play against the Lopez brothers that's at Stanford and then going in and just being able to put Sienna's uh, name on the map and then having them continue that success with Kenny and Ron and Alex and Coach Max last year to win it again. I just felt like it was just it was supposed to be done. And I was happy to be a part of that whole journey. And Sienna's still home for me. You know, I never forget about Sienna. As you said, I got my master's at the College of St. Rose, but Sienna is where it all started. Sienna is where my love went, where my scholarship went. St. Rose is where all my money went. <laughs> <laughs> um, but at the end of the day, though, I'm happy that I'm able to be at the College of St. Rose because it's a college campus that kids can be on. They can see it. It's a great school for the capital region. So it's good to get the youth on a college campus because maybe they're already thinking about Hey, let me think about college. Maybe St. Rose is right for me. There's never, it's never too early to start thinking about college and thinking about your education. So I'm thinking about that as well. And being at the Capitol Center, I'm the very first basketball camp that's going to be there. And the Capitol Center is, is uh, attached to the Times Union Center, which is home for me because that's where we played all our home games at. So I'm always trying to have some type of connection to me when I was a player and as a young kid and having it with the youth. That's how it all comes together. I'm not just 
I'm not just picking anywhere. Everywhere has something very special to me that I'm just trying to provide for the kids. What was the single most important thing you think you learned at Sienna, whether it be on the court or off the court, that you then use throughout your life? Is it going back to that just having fun part of it, or was it something else? It taught me how to work hard every single day. Every single day. And then that taught me to do it every single day as a Harlem Globetrotter. You have to understand that being a Harlem Globetrotter, we played every day, sometimes twice a day. People don't care if you played a doubleheader the night before, they care about what they're about to see right now. So no matter if you have a banged up knee, if your shoulders hurt, if you're having any issues at home or with your girlfriend or with school, you're supposed to go out there and give that family and those people who played their hard earned money a lifetime experience that they'll never forget. So Sienna taught me that, but the Globe Charters taught me how to do it to a different extent, which now makes me the person I am today. Every day I wake up, I'm ready to go. It doesn't matter what's going on in my life. I'm able to just kind of shut it down and put everything to the side and figure it out later. That's the mental part of the game of basketball and life that a lot of people struggle with. So when I'm teaching these kids how to forget about the noise, forget about the people in the crowd that are booing, forget about what you got going on at home. Let's focus on right here, right now. I think that's very important for the kids to learn, especially coming out, coming out of this pandemic that we're still slowly trying to navigate our way through. How much uh, does that come in handy as a father? Oh, man. <laughs> I'm still trying to figure that part out. I don't know. There's no uh, – this can take me a while to get the hang of, but I love it, man. You know, I love it. And this new chapter, now that I'm retired with the Globe Charters, and obviously I'm done with, you know, my master's degree at the College of St. Rose and my bachelor's degree at Siena – this is where I need to be. This is where I want to be. And I'm very excited about this next chapter. I just couldn't enjoy it and be prepared for it like I wanted to because of COVID. But now that things are getting better, this is it. And I'm hoping that everybody will enjoy it and come along with me and experience it because I know that they will have the best time ever. Tay, for our, some of our viewers who might not know how you wind up on the Harlem Globetrotters, can you tell us a little bit about how you wind up on that on that select company and on a team like that? How did all of that come about where you wind up on that roster? Uh, well, obviously having a great year or career at Siena, but definitely ending it off the right way. They saw me play on the national on the big stage. That's when that was my whole goal was to go out there and show everybody not only was Sienna great, but as an individual, I was great because I always say that to myself. You know, I always have to feel like I have what it takes to be great. And Sienna saw me. They said that they would love to give me a tryout. They actually recruited me. And that was in 2008. People don't know this, but I didn't even make the team. I didn't even make the team. That's what made me go to the College of St. Rose and say, you know what? Maybe basketball is not it. Then they gave me another chance. And uh, they said they just didn't have any spots for me. They gave me another chance and I absolutely killed it because I knew second chance, this is my opportunity. Let me show them what I'm all about. And they said, you know what? We're gonna call you Firefly because you light it up on the court with your shooting, with your dribbling, with your smile, everything that we already knew. I'm just happy that I was able to show it all around the world, all 50 states, 75 countries, changing people's lives, coming back home to play at the Tom Junior Center for people to still follow me. 
I couldn't have asked for a better journey. And I'm happy that it's different from other people's journey because this one was the right one for me. So what does a Harlem Globetrotters tryout look like compared to other basketball tryouts? I mean, it's a different kind of team. Do you have to practice all kinds of trick shots or show off? You can pull off certain things that you wouldn't see in a normal game? Strictly basketball. Okay. Because we're basketball players first. You know, that strictly basketball. Hey, let's go. Roll the ball out. You guys play. And I was able to show them, man, I'm shooting from deep, um, doing it all. And then the tricks and stuff come later. Okay, we can teach you the tricks. It might take you longer than others. It all depends on the individual. But we'll teach you it because we know you already have that charisma. We already know you have that personality. We've seen it already. So I was able to be fortunate to have Curly Neal as my mentor. I mean, who's, who's a better globetrotter than having him next to me showing me video of him back in the day and things that I can take from him? And obviously having the bald head and <laughs> being able to spin the ball on my head and finding that right spot on your head to do it. It's just like, it was amazing, man. I could have asked for a better mentor to show me the ropes for me to be the curly nil of my error. And uh, I think that's pretty awesome. Couple of quick things here. Uh, more than 70 countries worldwide you visited as a globetrotter. Give us one that you thought you'd never set foot in in your life? Man, I mean, I'm gonna be honest with you. All of them have something special for me because I've never left like New York before I was a Globetrotter. So for me to go to all 50 states and then go to other countries, I mean, I loved eating the different foods that they've had. I personally loved Egypt because it brought me back to my childhood days of looking at the Finks, looking at, um, you know, going, looking at the pyramids, learning more about King Tut. I was there by myself doing promo before my team came. So I was able to just enjoy it. And sometimes what you read and you see on the news, it's not necessarily how it is when you go there. So uh, they embrace, they love the Globe Charts. People don't understand how much people actually love the Globe Charters around the world. And uh, it was a great feeling, but uh, I have so many great memories. And I'm just, that's one of the other things about my camps and programs is I'm able to share that with the kids. Like some people, it's like when I was younger, I was very thrilled when my friend went to Disney. Like, whoa, you went to Disney? Whoa, how is it? And that's just where I'm from. We've never traveled. So now that I'm able to go to all of them places and come back and show kids, hey, look at this. Or, hey, look, I got a picture with LeBron. Whoa. And I'm just like, yeah, like LeBron comes with his kids and they all come and watch the games. And as much as he, we look at him like, you're my favorite basketball player. I look up to you. He's looking at us the same way. So it's pretty awesome to be able to uh, experience that with celebrities all around the world. All right, you just led me into this, Shawnee. Let me jump to the NBA here real quick, because because Tay is you should be a broadcaster too at some point. I know we've talked about that, but you should be an analyst on basketball games at some point too. And you just segued right into the next thing I had teed up here, which happens in the NBA first: they move the three point line back or they adopt the four point shot. Well, you know, I'm going to hope that they do the four point shot. That we started that the Harlem Globetrotters started that which you would expect because we already innovated so much of the other stuff that right. people see now, the slam dunks, the behind the back passes, all that other stuff. 
I hope they add a four-point shot. All they're going to do is just bring it back a little bit, still keep the line, uh, a different line. But with so many great athletes and shooting coming back and having Steph Curry and Dame Lillard there's so many other great basketball players, um, and Tay Fisher, to name a few, <laughs> we might as well extend it because uh, I think it would be fun. It would be great to see. And it will be a game changer. Just imagine being down four instead of you expecting to hit a three-pointer and hope to get fouled and make you can go for a four. Now that might change the game forever. And uh, I think that's cool. You know, it's always good to think like that. And I hope that they do do it. I'm a you huge know, Tay, proponent of the four-point shot. Every, oh, yeah. every time Chris annoys me on this show, which is usually once a week, I think I could have another job. So I know you said you're retired, man, but what do you think? What do you think? Could I? Oh, no. Could I, could I, do you think? You still know people, man. All right. You I'm, gotta, gonna, yeah. give you a, I'm just going to give you a few pointers. Okay. The first one, you got to loosen up. It was really okay. stiff. That's number one. You were, you, were really, you were like this, really stiff. All right. Number two, you cannot spin the ball with your middle finger. Oh, see, I've always done that. Which finger? You got to go the ring finger? Always the pointer. A pointer? Just because the middle finger just shows the middle finger. Oh, right. You don't want that. Not yeah. I mean, it's usually our strongest finger, though, you know, right. um, and the one we're most comfortable with. But always use the pointer. Um, it's just so it, it, all of them little things you start capturing when people start taking a picture. And How, now with social yeah. media, they can easily just take that ball out of, their, out of your hand. And it looks <laughs> like you're giving the middle finger. <laughs> so, uh, so I'm all curious though. How, how, hard and how often would you practice those kind of things right the things that aren't just what you would normally practice in basketball like you're traveling with the team the trick shots all that how much time is really devoted to that because ultimately if that's what people are there to see and then you go and attempt a trick and it doesn't work you know now you look kind of silly that's a great great question we practice every day there's been times that we were in the airport working on game working on things that add to our show and people are looking at us like you know but hey a lot of times we have long layovers so we're like hey we were thinking try this and try this let's try it let's do a weave and figure it out those are when you come up with the best plans is when nobody's really thinking so we're always thinking of new things to do now i can spin the ball on my finger and make the shot i can go between my legs and make the shot i can hit it off my butt and make a shot there's so many things i can do now but it took me a lot, a lot of practice to do it. And uh, it's kind of like learning basketball all over again. But if you want to be great and you want to be able to connect with people, for example, just spin the ball on your finger, you already connected with everyone. Like those, without me saying a word, that's the reason why a basketball and spinning the ball on your finger is so universal. I can bring a smile to somebody's face without even saying anything. So if I can do that, I must put the hours in because I know I can change somebody's life without even saying much. And uh, it just takes a lot of a lot of time, a lot of time. All right, last thing from me, Tay. If they do bring the four-point shot into the NBA, how many guys in the association could you beat in a shooting competition? Now, what what is the Globetrotters' four-point shot? Is that 30 feet? Uh, yeah, yeah. So the NBA might be a little bit deeper. Feet. Okay. Yeah. How many guys? You mentioned Steph and Dame. Uh, if if you want to take them off the list, go ahead. Maybe the better question is, who couldn't you beat in a shooting competition? Man, I always think I could beat anybody. 
you know, um, until you show me that you can beat me. And even when you beat me, I'll still say you can't beat me. So <laughs> it, it, it's like I never lose, you know. Um, and that's even how I was with shooting. Like I know my coach, Sweet Lou Dunbar, who a lot of people know, he was my coach. He would say, Tay has never seen a bad shot, <laughs> you know. And if he if I miss it, he'll be like, I know he'll shoot it again. And it's because I have that confidence in myself that if I make one, I could probably make the next six, seven, eight. And that's how I was at Siena. That's how I was at even at Kingston when I scored 61 points. I scored 2,119 total points in a career. I didn't get that from passing all the time. <laughs> I shot the ball. Um, and uh, I think that you just have to have confidence in yourself. And you also have to talk to yourself as well that you're the best, that you can always do better. And no matter what, you just have to keep practicing. And I think that as long as I keep thinking that in life, not just in basketball, I'll be in good shape. All right, last one for me. As you move forward, I know you got the basketball camp, so you teaching is is in your blood. Do you think coaching ever would be? And if you had to pick one, you think it would be coaching or broadcasting? Wow, that's a great question. Uh, I'm really open to anything right now. Right now, I'm really just focused on the youth because it was about the youth even when I was playing on the Globe Charters. Um, so that will always be there, whether I become a teacher or whatever it is. My youth, my basketball programs, everything will still be there. Um, so I'm still open to other things. The only thing I wanted to make sure that I had down packed before I moved on in my life after basketball was my programs and being a great father, being able to just learn how this works, how I can be great at this. Once I have them two established and I'm good, then I'm ready for the next chapter. And uh, that's going to be coming up real soon because I got that fatherhood thing down. I got it. I got it, at least for right now. And uh, the programs and stuff I've been doing for so long, I'm just happy to just be able to do it throughout the year. And uh, I know the rest will come for me. And I just, I just know it. Here are the details on the camp again. And you've seen it scrolling at the bottom of your screen. TayFisher.com is just the easiest place to get all the information you need and to sign up for Tay Fisher's fundamental basketball camp uh this summer the albany capital center um tay man it's it's been a blast catching up with you dude and and is it is the sienna website accurate from back in the day because if it is you and sean have something in common that jason kidd is your favorite player of all time <laughs> yes my jason man kidd. yes he is my favorite player you know um i just loved his leadership i loved it you know how he directed everything even though on the court, I'm still like that, especially with the Globe Childhood. But just he was a teacher. He was everyone was always focused on him. I just loved it right from the beginning, even up until now, as he's an assistant coach. And uh, it, he's definitely my favorite. He made everybody better, just like you made us better by taking part in the show. So we thank you for that. I'm going to keep practicing, man, on the pointer finger. On the pointer yeah. finger. And loosen up a little bit or you're going to go on the generals, man. <laughs> Nutrition is 80% of a healthy lifestyle. With four locations in the 518, Bold has you covered. Delicious? I think that's a yes. It's never been easier or more affordable to eat healthy. Salads with 17 dressings to choose from. Acai bowls with unlimited toppings. Power grain bowls, oatmeals, smoothies, artisan toasts, and Belgium waffles. Live Bold seven days a week. At work, home, or on the go. Dine in, grab and go, pick up or delivery. Live Bold? Eat bold. Happiness is found in simple things. The sun on your face, 
sharing laughs, at the campground, getting wet, relaxing together, the love of family. There's never been a better time to go outside and play. Alpenhouse Pool Spa Boat and RV, bringing families together and creating memories since 1964. And now, back to Honorado and Bagnardi. Brought to you by Alpenhouse. All right, Bags. Here we go. That was fun with Tay Fisher. Um, one last kind of note here before we get on out of here. Father's Day weekend. Happy Father's Day to all the dads out there. Um, the Madden cover is out. Madden 22, and they're calling it the MVP edition. So, of course, the reigning MVP should be on the cover, right? Yeah. No Rodgers? It's, it's not Aaron Rodgers. No, it's Tom Brady and Patrick Mahomes, a dual cover. No, I don't like that. If you're going to go dual, you got to go Brady and Gronk. They won. Okay? They won. I get No, Mahomes? No. You're out. You lost. You're out. Brady shouldn't have to share that with him. He won in the Super Bowl. And also, I want Brady to help by himself in case maybe that curse resurfaces, you know? You know, for a second, I thought, boy, look at you sticking up for Tom Brady and taking his side in something. No, you're hoping you're hoping there's a Madden curse still and he gets injured. Um, yeah, yeah come on, MVP edition should be Aaron Rodgers, my guy. I guess the problem there is what jersey and helmet do you put him in? <laughs> you think Tom Brady uses spider tech? Can I start that rumor <laughs> on social media? What do you think? Uh, I am sure there are plenty of people who would be happy to jump on the side of accusing him of using something he shouldn't. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Okay. I won't start that rumor. I won't be that guy. I think you already did just by asking the question. <laughs> My brain is now going like, are there, do quarterbacks use something they shouldn't? I mean, the guys in the cold, like Peyton Manning used to wear a glove all the time in the cold, but I don't know. Are guys using something they shouldn't? Receivers forever were using stuff. To make it easier to catch the ball. Can you wear like a batting glove for your throwing hand? Yeah, you can. As a pitcher, though? Oh, I'm sorry. As a pitcher. Good question. Don't know. Can Don't you know. imagine pitchers start wearing batting gloves out there? What are we doing? What it's are we foreign. doing? It's not foreign. Just, I'm use the glue and the tack and the whatever. Let's not make it look ridiculous out there. All right. Thanks for watching, everybody. We are back next week, each and every week, right here on my four on Saturday nights at 630.